All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. If you're feeling overwhelmed or floating towards the darkness, do not hesitate to phone a friend. If you're embarrassed that you are having a difficult time, call the crisis line at 1-800-273-8255. If you're a veteran, press option one. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. And if you're a veteran, press option one. We have told you many times over the last year, do not make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. So you stay up to date on all of our episodes as they release while also having the opportunity of getting to hear the stories of our amazing guests. Speaking of which, our next guest is the author of Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss in Life, published in October 2021 by Morgan James Publishing. Leader by Accident recounts the tragedy that thrust Jim into a demanding volunteer role and how that experience fueled a subsequent journey into entrepreneurship. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Jim Rafferty. How are you, Jim? Doing great, Rich. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. Uh, we, we've seen your bio and we thought uh, this is a great story. We'd love to have you on here to share your story with us. And of course, tell us about your book. Sure. Thank you. So if you don't mind, you can tell us a little bit about your backstory. And so the audience knows, I mean, we know because we read your bio, but of course, let the audience know a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the book Leader by Accident grows out of a, a pretty tragic situation here, which is uh, the Baltimore suburbs. Um, back in 2008, when a, a local attorney and his wife and two younger sons were all shot to death by their oldest son, who was then 15. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say that considering the impact that had on the whole community, because the mom and dad were everywhere, you know, my little slice of it really is, is hardly worth talking about, but it kind of changed my life in a couple of ways. Uh, John, who was the, the dad of that family, was the scoutmaster of the Boy Scout troop that our son belonged to. And all three of the boys of his boys were members of the troop. A couple of days later, I was the new scout master of the troop, which, you know, doesn't sound like a real big deal, probably. But I had pretty much zero in the way of scouting experience, you know, any outdoors experience, being a camper, you know, not a military guy and any of that. But any of those things you would look for when you said, hey, we need a new scout master at a moment when we really wondered whether the troop was going to survive. So, you know, that in itself is maybe an interesting little story. But the, the bigger part of the book, I think, is the way that those experiences then fueled a journey into entrepreneurship a few years later when I lost the job that I had for two decades. And I mean, it had never really crossed my mind to do anything other than have a job and get a paycheck from somebody and all of that. And the, the experiences I had, the outdoor experiences and the learning the things and the leadership lessons I've learned and all really are what gave me the, you know, the, the guts to go ahead with that, frankly. That's, I mean, that's, uh, of course, that's a horrible way to, uh, wind up into the leadership role, especially with scouts and, and having to not just be the leader of those, those young men as they're uh, becoming scouts and moving up through the scout ranks, but also being there for them in that, in that time when they were wondering what happened to their former scout leader and uh, the tragedy that unfolded there. And so you had to be both leader and kind of like a mentor dad oversight for all them, all them young men at that time. Sure. That was difficult as well. 
It was really a, a perfect storm of horribleness. I mean, it, it truly was, you know, because everybody had not only lost their scoutmaster, but at least a couple of friends because all three boys were members of the troop. And uh, it was it was a tough time. And, you know, frankly, we got through it in a couple of ways. I mean, as a leader, I was smart enough to get some help from people who did know what they were doing and could handle the nuts and bolts, you know, and be my training wheels while I learned how to be a, a Boy Scout, so to speak. Right. And the other thing I think we did that was really significant through that process is we never hid from what happened. We never swept it under the rug. We talked about it openly. We would spend time in troop meetings as, you know, the, the criminal case developed and went through the court system and all that. And we, we talked it through and we checked in on each other. We made sure of how each other were doing. And I think that was a big part of, you know, the reason that the troop not only survived, but really thrived. I mean, a year after that, we were larger in numbers and busier and, and just had a lot of really good stuff going on. That's amazing. And I, I know you said you had no idea about scouting, so I'm sure getting becoming the scoutmaster took you out of your uh, comfort bubble, out of your comfort zone. How did that? How did that feel going from uh, not having to do all the the higher uh, volunteer tests to all of a sudden now in charge of all of them? Yeah, 100. percent It took me out of my comfort zone because I had been a Boy Scout as a kid for maybe a couple of weeks. I, I really didn't like it, <laughs> and I think, really, honestly, looking back, that that had to do that. I, I moved to a troop where you know most of the kids were older, and I didn't know anybody. And at that age, you know, you just go, nah. But you know, so maybe if I'd stuck with it, but I didn't. So I, you know, I had none of that experience. I really had never camped or, or any of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, in a couple of ways, I mean, sort of the the physical challenges of some of the the regular camping trips, honestly, but also we did high adventure trips to the Florida Keys and to Yellowstone National Park. And uh, my wife and I and another couple unrelated to scouting hiked down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and, and back out against all odds. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things, that, that physical challenge part. But also, I think I learned a lot about empathy and being a leader. And and part of what gave me that empathy was a lot of times when a, a scout, one of our scouts was doing something for the first time, you know, stepping into that, into that wobbly canoe or, you know, the first step onto the trail, not knowing what's ahead or whatever, that those were often first steps for me too. And that, that gave me a measure of empathy that, um, you know, maybe was different from other experiences. Definitely. <laughs> And I'm sure, like you said earlier, it's a it's a steep climb to to learn all that stuff on the fly and keep that cohesion of the the young men that you're bringing together. And then this led you to entrepreneurism after going through all the the volunteer and the the climbing up through the ladders of volunteering. What was the first thing you you learned in that transition to becoming an entrepreneur? You know, connecting those dots came a lot later, but the the entrepreneurial story was really pretty simple in that you know. I lost the job, as I said, that I had for over two decades and started to look for another job because that's all I ever knew how to do. And shockingly, uh, people were not lined up around the block to hire a 51-year-old self-taught marketer, you know. So, um, you know, a couple of people came to me and said, hey, could you look at my website? Could you do this? Could you help me with that? And I thought, well, maybe there's a path here to, you know, to doing marketing on my own. And, uh, you know, eventually I just decided, all right, let's do this. And I went downtown and filed the paperwork the company and told the state of Maryland to stop sending the unemployment checks. And that's almost, uh, it's nine and a half years ago. And, you know, I've never been happier personally or professionally. And there's no doubt in my mind that I would never have done that if it were not for the experiences that I had in stepping into that, you know, well out of my comfort zone, stepping into that volunteer role as a, as a scoutmaster. 
That's a, and that's a, that's a, a tribute to you as a person to be able to pivot from doing marketing and being a marketing guy for, like I said, two decades, that's 20 years of your life doing, doing something you loved at the time, then, then losing that. But you had the, the scouting volunteerism and that taught you another thing about resilience and, and the strength of mentoring and all everything that goes into being a leader of the scouts to now you're, you have your own LLC, you have your book, your book is out. How is the book doing yeah. right now? That's doing very well. Thank you. The, the feedback's really been pretty neat. Um, I just, I hear from people, you know, out of the blue all the time. And, you know, the, the two things I hear about the book most often are, Jim, when I read this, I feel like I'm sitting across the table from you having a conversation. And, and that's great because that, that was the goal to, to do something that was very approachable and bite-sized and conversational. And the other one is, you know, I feel like this is what I needed to hear right now. You know, I mean, we've all been told before to step out of our comfort zones, but we need to be refreshed on, on things. I, I always think of the, um, if you remember Zig Ziglar, the sales trainer, you know, somebody said to him once, Zig, the trouble with the sales training of yours is it doesn't last. And he said, well, neither does showering. That's why we recommend doing it daily. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that really is it. You know, we, we need to say, you know, we, we get all caught up in our to-do lists and all the stuff we have going on every day. And we occasionally need to rattle our cage. And that really is the message in the book for me is don't wait for a tragedy to push you out of your comfort zone into something. Don't wait to get kicked out of the nest at work. You know, do take that step and, and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't, but either way you'll learn something. I like Robert Gates, uh, his view of it, very rare book that packs so much wisdom and wit about leadership and life into uh, so few pages that he couldn't put it down. Robert Gates, uh, he of course, has a couple real good books out there for him to give you that kind of praise. That's amazing. It was amazing. I am I am deeply grateful to him because he had absolutely nothing to gain from endorsing my little book. <laughs> right. uh, he's a truly a wonderful man for doing that. I'm eternally grateful. He's a great man, great leader, uh, still doing great things. Yes, um, he is. In your book, you took talk about uh, taking a different angle towards organizational culture. Tell us a little bit more about that. That grows out of a couple of conversations I had that I recount in the book where, you know, really what I thought at the time was just small talk, a throwaway question, you know, turned out to have a much bigger impact than I thought. The one, the one example being one of our scouts was a sophomore in high school and we were setting up chairs before a meeting or something. And I asked him if he'd started to think about college majors or anything. And he mentioned a couple of possibilities. And then he said, Mr. Rafferty, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, you know, I don't know. What do you, what do you like to do? What interests you? And we, we talked a little bit more. And I really forgot the conversation had ever happened. But about a year and a half later, when he reached uh, the, the rank of Eagle Scout, he sent me a little handwritten thank you note. And he recalled that conversation that I had forgotten. And he said that was the first time in his life that anyone had ever asked him what he wanted to do with his life. And he was 15 or 16 years old. You know, so I, I thought I was, you know, chatting and making small talk. And it turned out to have a much bigger impact in a good way, I think, you know, that at least changed a perspective for him uh, than I had ever intended. And so the, the point of that as it relates to culture, I think, is that we the words we use when people are looking to us for leadership, especially the words we use matter. You know, and they really do. And it's very easy, especially when we have so many ways to communicate that involve typing, right? We're not actually talking to each other anymore. Right. It's very, very easy for our intent to get lost. 
and for somebody to get their nose bit out of joint because they thought we meant something we didn't mean, you know, and, and that it's so key. And if I'm a leader in a business setting, I'm, I'm sure in the habit, I think I would, I would want to be in the habit of following up in person or following up my phone or in some way that's verbal to make sure not just that the other person got the message, but that it, it was interpreted in the way I intended, because there's a lot of ways for that to go wrong. Definitely. And uh, you hit the nail on the head with the way we communicate now is as fast as possible, as, as fast as you can type or as fast as you can text is how most people uh, communicate now. So there's not a lot of face-to-face uh, conversations and a lot of it gets lost in translation. Uh, you can see people lose their jobs because they misread an email or misread a text thinking that they were being told one thing but being told another. And I'm sure that goes uh, in almost every organization now. They have to deal with that a little differently because of the high speed of technology now. Right. And the even bigger challenge here in these last couple of years is we're not in the same room anymore so much, right? right. We're, we're all, you know, remote working, remote learning. And not only are we not in the same room where we could pick up nonverbal cues and stuff, but we, we maybe know and we maybe don't know how much our employee has going on at home, whether he or she is also trying to homeschool kids or, you know, has all this other stuff going on while they're working remotely and trying to figure out how to hold their whole life together. You know, so it takes really an extra measure of empathy as a leader, I think, and a little more effort, again, to to follow up and, and to be careful about the language we use and the way we use. And I think empathy, along with learning your people, learning a, a little bit more about your people than you, you did before, because like you said, we're not face to face and like the last two years, really not face to face because everything went to either like we're doing right now via Zoom or we're just a quick phone call or email all day long. They don't talk to anybody but that email and they don't know what the person's feeling on the other side or what chaos is going on in their house because what the pandemic has put on them and having their kids run around the house doing homeschool and then maybe going back to uh, some kind of hybrid school this year or the end of last year to try to adjust to that. So a lot of parents had to flip that switch and figure that out as well. So that the bosses, the leadership of organizations really had to be on their game to keep good employees around. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a chapter in the book <laughs> called the whole person, and that's exactly what it's about. And, you know, when I became scoutmaster, I had to sort of assess what, what I was good at, which wasn't much in terms of scout skills, you know, and, you know, the things I could do and the things I couldn't do right off the bat. And I thought one of the things that I'm going to make it a point to do, especially since we're living through this tragedy in the aftermath of it together, is that I'm going to understand these guys and what they do when they're not Boy Scouts. You know, so I made it a point to, you know, once a year, I'd take the troop roster and put their birthdays on my calendar, which took 15 minutes. But then at the end of every weekly meeting, we'd give a little shout out to whoever had a birthday coming up that week. Not a big deal, but it made a difference. And I knew what sports they played or what musical instrument they played or what, what their other extracurricular activities were. And if somebody made the lacrosse team or made all county band or auditioned for a show and successfully or something, then we would celebrate that as a troop, you know, at the end of the meeting time. And that was a lot of the, the really nice feedback that I got from parents was that not, not just me, but the whole leadership team of the troop really cared about the young men as people and not just as, you know, whatever they could contribute when they were there in their scout shirt. I'm sure that that helped out everyone in that, in that whole environment. Of all those young men that you uh, led by accident there, have any of them gone into leading scout troops themselves as they have uh, now become adults? Not leading, I don't think. Um, 
some of them have really taken some interesting paths and are, are wildly successful. Um, they're, they're all probably just a little bit young for that yet. I don't remember. One or two have babies, but nobody uh, old enough to be a scout yet. And that's typically the age when you get involved when they become Cub Scouts. But uh, one ex-scout is now a, a TV anchor and reporter in Cleveland. One works for SpaceX. He's brilliantly smart uh, they're they're all over the country and um, you know my own son as i told you lives in nashville and works down on music row and uh, the, you know it, it's really been fun to watch and many have kept in touch you know with social media and all that's easier and uh, it's it's really fun to hear from them it, it social media has really shrunk the world so it's easier to stay in touch with everyone not like when we were growing up uh, once you left high school if you went a different path than everyone else you kind of lost touch with everybody now there's no way you should lose touch unless you just don't have any social media presence. That's right. I tell my kids that phone was attached to the wall. You know, the, the struggle was real. With we had to get up to cord. change the channel. <laughs> With a giant cord on the phone. Right. Yeah, those are those are the real days of being hardcore. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of advice out there about getting out of your comfort zone. You obviously had to fight your way through your comfort zone to be that leader. What do you think is missing from all the advice that's out there in the in the advice world about the comfort zone? I think the part we miss a lot is after you've done it, after you've done the thing that scares you a little bit, the thing that challenges you to, I mean, first of all, take a moment and give yourself a little pat on the back for trying, even if it didn't turn out the way you'd hoped, right? Give yourself credit for trying. Think about what went right, what went wrong, what you would do differently next time. Because, you know, again, we're so busy, right? You know, our little electronic leashes here chime and buzz all day long, right? Demanding our attention. And yes. we've got these to-do lists and, and a million things to do. And what gets lost is the time for reflection. And the example I use for that, which I sort of alluded to earlier, is, you know, these, these two parts of Leader by Accident, where I became Scoutmaster and I became an entrepreneur. Well, you know, I didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I hiked the Grand Canyon. Therefore, I'm going to go launch a business. You know, that came later as you you think back and you reflect on it. And you go, wow, whatever gave me the guts to think I could do that? Right. And then the answer becomes clear, you know, and, and I, I truly have no doubt that it was all those scouting experiences. But that's the part we miss, I think, is, you know, taking the time to learn. You know, it's that saying about uh, how the, the windshield's so much bigger than the rearview mirror because we need to look ahead and not look back, right? But right. There, there are lessons to be learned in that rearview mirror. I truly believe that. Definitely. Yeah. Learn from everything you do. Uh, learn from your mistakes, learn from your victories and bring them both together to fuel your next victory, your next successes in life. Amen. So, so leader by accident also used a series of talks that you had with the, with the troop and translates those lessons for adult leaders. What do you think made those communications effective? Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, what you're talking about is a thing called the Scout Master Minute. That's a, a part of the scouting program. And just like it sounds, it's a brief little message that the Scout Master delivers at the end of each weekly meeting. So, you know, the boys would form a circle. We go over any last minute reminders, announcements. And then the Scout Master delivers a little message designed to send them out the door with some kind of positive or motivational thought. And I thought, well... You know, when I became Scoutmaster, I, I may not know three ways to start a fire without matches, but this I think I can do, right? So I, I worked pretty hard on those, and I kept an archive of them 
over the years, mostly so I wouldn't repeat myself to the scouts. But I, I use those throughout leader by accident and, you know, share the message that I shared with the scouts and then take it in, in the next chapter, try to translate it and make that same lesson useful for people like you and me who are, you know, 15 years old, who are trying to find our way through life and be better leaders and be better people. Definitely. And I'm sure that helped out, helped them out. And then, of course, being able to effectively communicate with as a leader to other leader, other uh, adults, that uh, that actually helps in organizations a lot better than just ranting at them or the pointing at them and saying stuff. You got to learn how to speak to every person so that it's effective, effective communication. Yeah, that was such good experience, you know, because Boy Scouts generally are between the ages of 11 and 17 years old. And there's a big difference between an 11-year-old and a 17-year-old, right? Yes. So in 25 of them standing in a circle, you know, it was a good lesson in learning to hold the attention of a, a somewhat diverse group in terms of ages and attention spans, frankly. Um, so, you know, that I think translated very well into, and I offer some advice in the book about this, and the general advice like speaking to a group, like, you know, giving a sales presentation or talking to your own team or whatever it is, and the do's and don'ts, like the don't, the obvious don't, of you know, don't read every word on every slide of your PowerPoint, right? Because, you know, you'll just bore people to tears. Uh, but, but what to do instead, you know, those kinds of things uh, that lend, that lead to better communication. Don't stare at your own PowerPoint while you're speaking about your PowerPoint. That, that helps. That out. too. <laughs> look at the audience and just speak <laughs> that that's right. a big plus to people. exactly your job is to bring the powerpoint to life not to recite it so if you uh if you had to sit down with a young scout master now that just his son roped him into leading the troop what advice would you give that young scout master don't be afraid to admit what you don't know i was very transparent with the guys they knew that you know, I did not have the scouting skills that a scoutmaster typically would have and that other people were around who did. So we would be OK. And, you know, um, care about the whole person like we talked about. Right. Not just what they're how far away they are from their next rank or whether they're ahead or behind. That's part of it. You want to keep them on track and keep them motivated and moving forward but to care really about who they are as human beings and, and celebrate their successes and, and grieve with them when things don't go well. And, you know, I think that's one of the themes of those, maybe not a theme, but one of the hallmarks of all those Scoutmaster minutes is a lot of them really have very little to do about, about scouting. I mean, we talked about how easy it is to, you know, I, I told them about my credit card bill one month and how I only had to pay $10 you know, but if I did that, I'd wind up paying more than twice as much, you know, over 20 years or something. I forget the numbers, you know, and how easy it is to get into debt because of that. You know, when we talked about things like, you know, the, the a book I had read about the teenage brain and, and their mood swings and, and what's going on there to, to help them understand that, because it's a very frustrating time those years. And, you know, I, I think. The, the final thing I would tell this is a long answer to a short question, sorry, but the final thing I would tell a scoutmaster is, you know, to, um, yeah, there it went, uh, to not be afraid to admit what you don't know, to be empathetic, to understand the whole person, and, you know, to celebrate and grieve with them. Right. And now the same question, uh, maybe three tips for that young or any age entrepreneur that's trying to start their own business and get out, get out of the corporate grind to become their own boss. Yes. Okay. So start today and build your network. 
okay. before you do that because that was one of the mistakes I made. I didn't do enough networking when I had a you know quote unquote job. But when that job came to an end and I decided I started to think about being an entrepreneur, I reached out to virtually everyone I knew and said, "Hey, can you sit down for a cup of coffee and just talk? I have this idea." And just about everybody said yes. I mean, people are, are happy to help. And you bounce your ideas off of them and they offer their feedback and most are extremely supportive. And what happens is not only are they supportive, they, they'll have some ideas that will help to refine your plan, some suggestions that might make it better. And then they'll say, you know, you should talk to so-and-so and they'll make an introduction for you. And your circle grows and your circle grows and your circle grows. So, you know, that's, you know, talk to everybody you can talk to and, you know, as much as you can and, and, and let that circle grow organically that way. And then also find some support somewhere in, the, in all those things. I, I belong to a monthly uh, business peer group where we sit down around a conference table for three hours, one morning every month, and we solve each other's problems, eight to 12 people in any given meeting. And you get to know each other really well not just what you do for a living, but, you know, family issues and your personal stuff. And it's, it's, it works on a much deeper level because especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going it on your own as a solo entrepreneur, you, you need some other voices in your ear, you know, to, to help guide you and, and hold you accountable. The things that you don't get when you leave that office behind. Outstanding, outstanding advice right there. A network is uh, something that uh, when I was getting out of the military, it's something they taught us right away. Build your, make sure your network is solid when you get out. So that way, people grab you and bring you into their fold and and help you as you move forward in life. So networking is big in every area of life now. It, it is amazing, and and I was kind of timid about it at first, and then you realize how the vast majority of people are so happy to help. Yes. You know, I had one guy who owns a small agency who gave me copies of the agreements he uses and stuff. He said, just change the names, you know, and then save me, I don't know how many hours and how much money not having to start from scratch. Right. And uh, people, people are, are truly amazing that way. And honestly, you know, as I've been at this a few years, that is now my favorite thing where there, there are two younger guys in their twenties. Uh, one was very briefly one of my scouts actually. Um, but who have you know gotten out of college and started their own things, and I've brought them into my networking circles and and helped them in that way, and they're both thriving, and and that's been the most satisfying thing ever, far far more than anything I've done with my own business. That's a that's a success right there. That's awesome, uh, so Jim. How does someone uh, get in contact with you to uh, have you help them with their on their entrepreneurial journey or uh, consult with them? Sure. Um, they can go to leaderbyaccident.com. That's the title of the book, Leader by Accident. Uh, there's a form there. There's information about the book and links to buy the, buy the book and all of that. And there's a form there that I will get if they fill it out. And we can, if they want to talk about marketing stuff, I'm happy to help with that. I work with all kinds of businesses of, you know, mostly small to mid-sized, some larger ones. And, you know, everyone's different. People say, well, what does that mean? What do you do? It's a, well, depends on the client, you know, I build websites and I work on strategy and do all kinds of everything in between email newsletters and blog posts and, and all of that. And, and that's what I love about my work. Truly every day is different. Every client's needs are different. Every, every story is different. That's my, been one of my favorite things really is learning how different businesses work and what makes them tick. So, uh, so yeah, uh, com. fill out the form there. It'll come straight to me. And is that also the best place to uh, buy your book online or find the links to do that? 
Yeah, the links are right on the homepage to Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all the places you buy books. The uh, the book, as you said, came out in October, so it's available in paperback and in ebook. And the audio book is a week or two away. I'm awesome. I'm, I'm working I'm working hard on it. I'm doing it myself. It is grunt work. <laughs> it takes a long time. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I I, I haven't had that experience yet. But I was hoping I'd get uh, someone else to read read mine when I do it. Maybe uh, Samuel L. Jackson or something. Uh, then read my book. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, this has been great chatting with you. Uh, uh, good luck. Best luck with you to you on the book as it moves forward and everything else you're doing. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for all you do. Uh, the, you know, I, I love the whole premise of, of what you do here, and I, I sincerely appreciate the chance to to share an episode with you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.